This episode of the After Later podcast is brought to you in part by Alamo Remedy CBD. There is a lot of CBD companies popping up out there, but Alamo Remedy is for Texans, by Texans, and built in Texas. Alamo Remedy has one mission. Your wellness shouldn't break the bank. That's why they price all of their fine products at $17.99, so everybody can afford them and you get the very best quality CBD products. Now go to alamoremedy.com, that's alamo, R-E-M-E-D-Y.com, and enter the promo code after later at checkout. You get 10% off all products and free shipping for orders over $49. From delicious hemp-derived CBD gummies, cucumber melon CBD lotion, capsules, tincture, every product features 250 milligrams of CBD for only $17.99. That's almost half off other national out-of-state brands. And I use them all. I, I tell you what, since using the lotion, my back feels normal again. Sleeping like a baby, playing golf like a boss. I take a capsule in the morning, tincture at night. My anxiety whew, just floats away. Go to alamoremedy.com, enter the promo code after later. That's all caps, all one word. After later, you get 10% off your order and free shipping for orders over $49. That's Alamo Remedy CBD. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the After Later podcast. I'm your host, John Wesling. Thank you very much for stopping by and listening. It's uh, Friday, where I am. <laughs> Maybe it is for you, too. I don't know when you're listening. Uh, but I am uh, here in uh, Houston, Texas, and we're about to get uh, tickled by a little tropical depression or tropical storm, Hannah, whatever it's uh, it's technically called. I've got a house full of kids who are bored to tears, being stuck in the house, nothing fun to do. So I'm going to keep this brief and get to, to my interview pretty quickly here today. I have a very special guest on today, uh, someone who I have a very big thing in common. I'm in a very elite group of people with this guy. See, now I've been a comic professionally for over 20 years of my life, and I've been very fortunate that I've gotten the opportunities uh, to do some amazing things, and I'm proud of all of them. You know, it's been an amazing run, uh, but the thing that I'm the most proud of uh, isn't necessarily my greatest, uh, you know, career achievement as far as, you know, acclaim and money and all that good stuff. But in 2005, an idea that I had had for a long time uh, finally came to fruition, uh, thanks to me and my buddies. And you've heard them here on the podcast, Tommy Drake and Chuck Savage. Uh, we performed in all 50, in all 50 states in 50 days. So we did 50 shows in 50 states in 50 days. It was a little project we called Hell Gig America. Now, you know, I've talked about it a little bit with the, but with the guys, you've heard about it, but, uh, Essentially, uh, we were the first people to do it. And for me, that was the reason that we did do it. Because in this day and age, it's impossible to be the first person to do anything anymore. Everything's been done. Everything's been discovered. Everything's been achieved, right? But that was the one thing in comedy that was still available. So we made a run for it. Now, of course, when we did it, we were, you know, this was pre-social media. So we didn't have the pre-smartphones. We didn't have the... The ability that we do now to be able to whip together a crowd or to crowdsource things or it was it was a, a completely different experience but we did it and it was an amazing experience like it was life-changing it was it gave me a perspective of of scale of our country and of our world that uh, has changed the way that i look at life the way i look at the world and the way i see things and after we did it there's really only one other group that ever did it and that's my guest tonight. Uh, my guest today is a guy named Morgan Preston. 
And Morgan is a very, very funny dude out of Seattle. That's his comedy hometown. I believe he's originally from uh, Montana. Uh, but he, yeah, he put together a couple of groups and he's done it twice. He's done it twice since then. Then that's a hard thing to do. I have the most, uh, the utmost respect and admiration for him being able to do it. Just because we went first didn't make what he did any uh, less of an achievement and accomplishment. As a matter of fact, he did it and was profitable doing it. That right there alone, whew, I tip my hat to him. Now, we've never actually got to meet or hang out in person, but uh, I, I have always been a fan, and I'm glad that we got this chance to talk today. So I think you're going to like this conversation, and I'm going to go take my kids out in the yard and spray them with a hose or something. <laughs> we'll see. Anyway, we'll have... Um, this, uh, what do you say? We're going to have a quick interview with, or quick interview. What am I saying? I'm sorry. <clears throat> Got a little distracted there. An actual uh, squirrel ran by my window. That kind of distracted me. But we'll get to this interview with Morgan Preston right after this word from Old Humble Special Reserve. Welcome back, friend. You look like you've been to hell and back. You need a drink. And I'm talking about the good stuff. Old Humble Special Reserve from my friends at Old Humble Distillate. They take the straight whiskey that I love so much and give it an extra soak in a five-gallon oak barrel for four months, giving it a dark, rich color and a deep flavor to match. Now, these are extraordinary times, and you deserve a damn good, award-winning whiskey. Old Humble Special Reserve is the only American whiskey to win a gold medal in the prestigious London International Spirits Competition. So relax with a big glass, a special reserve. You've earned it. Old Humble Special Reserve is available right now at Specs Liquor. And if there's no Specs near you, well, first off, you need to move. But if that's impossible, head on down to oldhumbledistilling.com and they'll help you figure out how to get you a big, beautiful bottle of Old Humble Special Reserve. Joining me today in the After Later Lounge from parts unknown in the Pacific Northwest, Mr. Morgan Preston. How are you, sir? Hello, Mr. John Wesling <laughs> on the After Later podcast. <laughs> I've, seen, I've, I've seen the ads. Let's do the deed. Excellent. I like it, man. Hey, uh, well, before we just jump all the way into it, I got to tell you, I'm really enjoying um, your, the updates that you're putting up on Facebook of this construction project that you're working on. Uh, especially uh, the Shoshugi Ban. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, well, I've, I've become a, a burning. I, I go through propane now. Yeah, I love it. Oh, I so love Shoshugi Ban. So you're actually uh, doing it yourself. It's not like you're bringing someone in who does it. You get to actually scorch the wood yourself. Not only my scorching the wood, some of it I'm chopping down and milling. Oh, fuck it out, dude. With fuck a chainsaw. Because it's all free. My neighbor keeps cutting all, you know, my neighbor is like clear cut his lot and just burning it. I'm like, dude, that's feeder. That's fur. I mean, you have to go to the store to buy it. Yeah. For those who don't know, Shoshugi Ban is uh, scorching uh, the wood to kind of make a, I guess, a permanent kind of weatherproof uh, uh, seal to it. And it just looks cool as shit. Like, it's like you make that. What it is is yeah, go oh, keep going. Sorry, I didn't mean no, to interrupt. But it's like a, a, a I, I don't know if it's a one of those ASMR kind of things, but just watching, I've watched so many YouTube videos of it because it's just so fulfilling to watch that wood turn into that alligator skin. Yeah, it's super weird because it's like it actually Shusugi Bon actually translates in 
Japanese to charred cedar. So it works the very best with cedar, even though I've done it on other stuff. But with cedar, it somehow tightens it. It's a softer wood, so it just tightens it, and it burns that first layer of uh, different level of wood, so the grain pops out. And then because of that uh, that burn, it actually becomes a little water resistant and weirdly enough fire resistant, and the bugs don't like it. So Nick. not only is it yeah. beautiful, but you can just do all these different layers of how how much you want it burned down to char or just popping the grain and making it, you know, colorful. I think that's a that's a pretty good um, uh, life lesson there that, that you can become fireproof by burning yourself a little bit previously. <laughs> yeah, for real, right? If you think about it, it just kind of hardens the casing a little bit so you can go out and handle being in the real world. Yeah. We get a lot of rain yeah. up here. And the thing is, is there's cedar everywhere on my property. I live in like a big cedar grove and um, there's just a lot of it. And there's a lot of cedar in my area to go buy, you know, extra cedar off of Craigslist if I need it. So cedar's the way to go. Usually it's pretty expensive, but in my scenario, not as bad, really. And I get to customize it a lot, you know. I lived uh, a lot as a kid in central Texas where cedar is everywhere. I mean, it's basically, it's like a nuisance tree. It's so much fucking cedar everywhere, you know? I didn't know that. So what kind of cedars in Texas? Well, it's definitely, it's not large. It's like brush. It's like, um, is it, is it like, um, a juniper style? No, juniper's a cedar. No, it's not like, it's not like big, tall pine kind of trees or nothing like that. It's like, um, Oh hell! I'm trying to think how you describe it. it. It's really it's like large uh, brush, right? So yeah, in right Central there. Oregon, there's uh, what's called juniper, which is also what they have in the Middle East, the same type, and it's a type of cedar. And there's all different types from like that brush and the, and the juniper trees are almost like they're just not as big like is the big cedar. They're just kind of small, and they're in the high desert. So you guys are probably pretty deserty down where that's at, right? Uh, yeah, it's, well, it's like, it's what they call the hill country in Texas. And it's just like a weird, yeah. So it's a, it's a strange kind of, uh, rocky environment. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, here we are. I didn't know we were going to really have a a deep dive into, into wood talk here on the, on the show today. (laughs) But dude, tell me about your, the the project that you're doing. Cause it looks like you're building a tiny house, but I got a feeling using that term probably is not going to, uh, I hate, yeah, I hate that term. I'm actually, I'm from Montana, man. We used to build cabins ever since I was a kid. So we just called them cabins. Everybody calls them tiny houses, but I don't know. I, I basically took my property and turned it into the whole, the whole property is my house. So I just have a bunch of different, um, usable spaces all over the property instead of just making one big house <laughs> excuse me it oh, makes man. it easier makes it easier to i don't know use the property than just having you know i can keep more in the trees i guess i don't have to clear cut put some big house in the middle of it now you say you grew up in montana are you uh are you sort of a naturalist or is this sort of a departure for you no i've always uh I don't know. I, I've always kind of lived. I, I was born in Missoula, Montana. So it's kind of a liberal bastion in Montana. Mm-hmm. And it, I, we just grew up running around fishing and just doing normal stuff that Montana kids do, bringing in the cattle. And so I just knew the stuff as, as I was growing up. And uh, 
I've kind of always been there. And then I had a boat in the Seattle area because I've always loved boats. So I had a big boat in Seattle. And when I finally, when the 2008 market crashed, I was living in Bend because I never really liked living in the cities. So uh, when the 2008 crash hit, we just moved. That was our backup plan. We moved aboard our boat in, in Seattle and we got to live the last of when Seattle was cool. And then they started tearing these, tearing our warehouse down where we had in Seattle and everything else, you know, to build tours and produce. So I finally just bought some property out away from it so that we wouldn't lose our shit anymore. Yeah, that's pretty I'm cool. I'm kind of sick of rebuilding my 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 income base. <laughs> now, basically, this is set up as a studio. You walk in here, and there's all these cabins are set up specifically to record, uh, to do artwork in. There's a silkscreen studio in one shop. There's a, for T-shirts and tour set up and yeah, recording, editing, Dude. microphones, Dude. instruments. And then I'm also a photographer, so I'm building it so that any place I shoot on the property, you're like shooting on a set. So no matter where you point the camera, you got a super dope background to look at. Man, now I can just Morgan, shoot it right you, here. You're living, you're living my dream, dude. You're absolutely, <laughs> I mean, this is pretty awesome, man. I mean, that's a hell of a setup. You know, and uh, I yeah, gotta say, I'm jealous as shit because that sounds amazing. It is. I really kind of lucked out, honestly. I loved living on my boat. I loved being in Seattle. Um, I did not. I lost my. I lost two houses in 2008 because I was in a head-on car accident. Oh wow! And so oh, wow. I had built my career to a point where I had a nice tour rig and dope mm-hmm. tour cars, a super cool house, and another house, the American Dream, and. I built one house and rolled it into the other two. And in the, in the 2008 crash, like January 08, I was in a head-on. And uh, people were killed in the other vehicle. They kind of head-on to us when we were on tour. And luckily, I had made enough money in my career to drive decent cars because I don't think comics are ever out running in good cars. No, never. So I just luckily had a nice German vehicle to not die in. And, um, you know, I took a head on at 78 miles an hour and, and uh, spent the next two years recovering from broken backs and, and everything else. And fuck it. We just moved up here when it all went to shit. You and know, it was the best yeah. move ever, honestly. Even though it was shitty, it was the best move ever. Yeah. Dude, I got to tell you, uh, that's as a comic and touring um that's always my biggest fear is a, is a, is a big catastrophic car accident, man. And, and how much that would just, you know, if you, if you're lucky to survive it, how much it would change your life and how much of an effect it would have on you. Uh, how, how has it, uh, changed your life? Well, right out the gate, I was supposed to be in LA for a part. Um, and I lost it. I mean, that was immediate. I was right straight up in the hospital and that was it. I had broken Broken back, uh, broken arm, broken leg. Uh, all my ribs were broken. So then now suddenly, oh, scapula. Oh. Um, well, uh, so based in lower L4, L5 compression fractures. So basically, that's going to be another, what, two years of recovery mm-hmm. of where I'm just doing physical therapy and all that bullshit. So 
yeah, I mean, it'll completely switch your whole headspace up because I'm the type where my head just says I'm invincible and I can do anything. It's just a problem. <laughs> so, which leads us to what we're in right now. I have not been able to wrap my head around figuring this shit out. Oh, you mean the uh, the current global pandemic? Yeah, like that last one was just a physical, okay, I can fight through this because all the shit's still there and I can go get it. But now it's like, eh, stand-up comedy's dead and it will be for the foreseeable future for a long time, unless, you know, it just will. Well, if, no you, look at, there. if you look at your story, right, your, you know, the horrible accident, you know, loss of sort of, you know, your, your assets and kind of starting over, that's sort of a microcosm of the big thing, right? This whole thing is essentially a, a death of the status quo and normal business procedures. It's going to have to kind of come back and start as something completely new, man. And what's your look, what's your outlook or your, your level of optimism on what will happen with stand-up comedy in the next couple of years? Well, here's the deal. At some point in the past, I was always going for that, big huge tour bus and all the shit the comics want right mm-hmm. so i got the i got the triple slide fifth wheel and a kenworth to pull it and i gutted it and made it super dope and i'm out touring and then i realized oh my god this is such a massive pain in the ass to take care of all this shit like that's mine now mm-hmm. that means i'm responsible for taking care of it so i spent after i got it to that point then i was in that car accident realized, wow, I had way too many houses, way too many cars, and was riding so much paper that anything could have killed it. I had to reassess, and so I whittled it down. The best move is, after that is when we did the 50-state tour, because I did a a cross-country run with a triple-slide 50-foot, you know, running my trailer down through Chicago traffic. And it was just, it was just so much stress. So after that all happened, I just slimmed everything down to lean and mean, super nice cars that are safe, and then everything quick and easy, That you know, two bags, and let's go in and out, do shows fast and quick. And that's where I was at with that. Now, I think it's going to have to go back towards larger touring situations where you can pull in and have a stage and the whole crew is safe and separate from the audience and maybe it's a you know because you can build your own stage you can every town has a parking lot there's all (laughs) kinds of scenarios where it'll work it's just there's a lot to it you know there's a lot more logistics now just because of of what we're in so i think i think what we're going to start working on is something along those lines because i'm good at it i know how to make that work and I don't think it, this is one time in history where it'd be pretty easy to sell those parking lot style shows because everybody wants something right now because it's all bullshit. Mm-hmm. So I think it's workable. I just don't know how to totally do it yet. And I haven't really, I've been kind of focusing on getting this place done so that I actually have a place to work and build stuff like that. Because it does, it's logistics. It's You got to have the t-shirts, you got to have your support team, you got to know where you're staying, you got to know what's going on. Yeah, it does seem like it's a bigger deal now, right? Like you'd have to, you'd have to <clears throat> DIY it from from fucking first email to <laughs> to, to every right. single detail along the way to getting paid and <laughs> everything. Well, yeah, and then plus you got to follow all these rules. Like every place you go is going to have different scenarios and different lockdowns. 
my wife's in the medical field, so, you know, she's pretty sketchy about it because right out the gate she was working with COVID patients. So she's all up my ass making sure that, you know, even more careful out here and who can come out and who can't. You know, it's just a different thing now. Everybody's so awkward around one another and how to act. And it's just, you know, it's one of those things that we're just going to have to get through because I think that this is longer. I think we're in the beginning still. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. At the the beginning, I was saying, oh, this is going to be a few months and then it's going to, you know, walk out. But I think we call it the before four, which is, I think we stole it off of either a a Rick and Morty or some episode, but we literally. we literally refer to it as a different time period, the before four, because I don't think it's changing again that quickly. Yeah. It's so, just that too, much, too much is going down. It's going to take time to let it settle. Now, I wonder, because I've been doing uh, a series of, <coughs> no worries, uh, about episodes about people who work in the trades, right? Because that's a lot of what's going on or what's going to have to go on in the next year or so is a lot of people are going to have to have dramatic career changes, right? Where their, their old industries don't exist anymore and they got to find something that's essential. That's actually useful. That's, that's disaster proof. Right. So I I wonder, you know, looking at the skills that you have, man, like uh, you're going to, are you starting to, are you going to, are you considering supplementing your income by kind of doing some construction for other people and kind of the things that you've kind of done as your own? No, Hell no. I would yeah. never yeah. build shit for somebody else because it, it's manual labor at that point. And I also, I build this stuff like it's a piece of art and, um, you know, like I would want it and I had to have a hard time getting rid of it anyway. Cause I don't enjoy the actual act of the building. I hated getting up on the roof and putting on <laughs> tar paper and, and wrap. You know, I'm having fun now cause we're in the stage where it's more creative and it's the stuff you're going to see. But no, but I have always also, <laughs> since I was a kid, I do have a bunch of other skills. And I was going to reference that because a lot of comics, a lot of artists, a lot of musicians, a lot of creative people always try to pigeonhole themselves into some genre. They're always trying to define what they are. But in reality, it's your brain. So if you're a creative individual, if you have skills, they're transferable. Almost always, because every single thing you can do is some kind of an artistic endeavor if you look at it that way. So even booking, man, I've always went into booking, which is one of the most bullshit things to actually do cold calling and make the phone calls and hustle up the right people and vet them and make sure you're not going to get fucked and all that part of it. That becomes an art form becomes a conversation. You have to look at it like, holy shit, I can just talk to these people and get money. So if you change the way you look at all this stuff and not say, oh, I'm not good at that. I'm not good at this. It's only because you haven't forced yourself to use skills you obviously already have. It's just like comics only want to talk and write jokes. (laughs) In most scenarios, they want to get just the act done so that they can do their 30 to an hour and then never write again. Right. But that type of mind is the type of mind that can switch it up if they don't put themselves in that fucking spot you know what i mean yeah absolutely yeah and do you think that that's <clears throat> is that a life lesson that you've probably honed since since 2008 no i've always thought like that 
I think it's become more clear to like, holy shit, if I just want to do almost anything, which I've kind of known, but even let's just say for the 50 states where you've done it, you go out, you're every single night in a venue, every single night, pretty soon you're just on, you're like a machine, you're on autopilot. And so you start to realize, oh, my head knows how to do this no matter what. Like, I don't even write material anymore. I can, it doesn't blow my mind when somebody says, oh, I watched this person go up and riff the whole show and it was amazing. That guy's a genius. Not really. It's like me and you having this conversation. We didn't rehearse this shit, but we know how to do it. So once I was on stage and realized, oh, fuck, I, I'm using my act as almost like a net. Now I can do true improv. I can go talk about almost anything because my head knows how often I need a laugh. My head knows how to tell a story. My head knows that it's completely freeing. I'm, I'm in 100% control if I'm not tied to something. That's not saying I don't do a bit, but I'm not tied to that shit anymore. And it doesn't freak me out that I'm going to forget stuff. It's just your head figuring it out because it's literally no different than what you're already doing. That's fascinating. That's really a good way to explain, I think, what a lot of comics know but can't put words to it. That, uh, that mode that you get in once you become an experienced comic where the, the act is almost like a bulletproof vest. You know that you have it. It's there to protect you, and it gives you the freedom to kind of to go off the res, man, to kind of explore. And just having that little bit of confidence that you know that if you got painted in a corner, you could just start kind of going back to the act to kind of get out of it or to pull yourself into a, a clearing. And, uh, yeah, I imagine to the, you know, the uneducated observer, it just looks like you're up there practicing, practicing some sort of fucking verbal sorcery. Yeah, I mean, once again, I take it back to you and I, uh, rehearsing a conversation. Is it brilliant? I don't think it's brilliant. I just think it's just another space to get because you're in front of an audience. You know what I mean? I don't think it's brilliant. I watched Todd Berry. I don't want to shit on Todd Berry, but I watched Todd Berry do a crowd, <laughs> a crowd riffing tour and it was just hyped all up. So I went, because I've worked with Todd before mm-hmm. and I watched him and I'm like, okay, well, if that's brilliance and that's what's going down, then I'm a fucking goddamn genius. It's not that. It isn't. It's a few people will open their minds up to moving past the act. And all it is is a conversation with the audience. That's it. A conversation. If I can stand with two people or four people or five people and smoke weed and make them laugh, I can do that in front of 20 people without rehearsing as well or 100 people or 200 people. Um, And I do it. I've, I've got to the point where I'm like, holy shit. Like, I don't know why I didn't click that in. Like, I knew I could riff, but I didn't realize until I just kind of started getting bored with my act on a 50-state tour <laughs> that I would just walk in and tell the story of the day, and that's what people started waiting for. They wanted to hear what we were doing because they were there watching what we were doing. And so this is what happened in Massachusetts. This is what happened in, you know, Maine. Here's a funky, weird story. And you know there's a story from every goddamn show because there's weird-ass people everywhere. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, t- I uh, before we dig into the fifty states thing, because I, I that's what I want to talk to you about in the uh, in, in the second segment, because it is it's oh that's it's, fine. I just thought I hit it. Well, no, no, no. Uh, hey, trust me. There's no there's no rhyme or reason here because you know there's only about I'd say there's less than ten people on Earth who know what we know about having done that, right? 
Uh, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but uh, real quick about the the crowd work thing, I got a, a funny story to relate about when I was when I was young comic and I was dating this girl way uh, before you know, I met my wife. And she didn't really know shit about comedy, and she had never really gone to do any, you know, she'd never been a part of that world with me, right? And uh, we went to the old Spellbinders here in Houston, and it was, um, oh, fuck, what's his name? Baby, hi, baby, uh, Bob Zaney. Oh, uh, yeah, Bob Zaney. I know Bob. Yeah, and I love Bob. I, I've, I've worked with him many times. He's a, a great dude. I love watching his act, right? But I know what, I know what he knows and what she didn't know is that a lot of the spontaneous crowd working shit is formulaic anyway. So yeah, she was just like improv. Yeah. She was with me for, <laughs> it was a Friday and a Saturday. So we went up just to watch on Friday late show. And then I was, uh, I had a guest spot Saturday early show. So she goes with me just to go watch and hang out the Friday night. And she's just blown away by the magnificence that this guy is just, Look at him just pulling from people in the audience and this and that. And, oh, my God, he keeps going back and forth. And then uh, the next night, I, I do my little, you know, five-minute guest spot leading up to it. This is, like, 1997, I think. And uh, and then she's, you know, all excited to watch Bob. She wants to see him, you know, spin another fucking magic tale in a magic show. And then she just I, – I saw her heart break as she sees him doing the almost exact same crowd work shit off the same like it was just when he kept you know it's just there's always a woman who sits over here to the right there's a guy over here with you find a guy with with bad hair to the left you know and it was like yeah it's if you're just a regular person and i feel her i feel her because dude i've worked with a shit ton of people just because i produce and i know the ones who are truly genius greg proop should be in the top five comics alive today um, that's, that's I've watched that dude riff. He's the best. He's very, I'm not, very good. I'm, not gonna, I'm saying he's one of the best. His yes. podcast consists yeah. of him sitting in front of a live audience with headlines and paperwork, and he just sits there at a table and blows the room away. Mm-hmm. So I understand her disappointment because I've had that. I'm like, and then I started to think that's kind of where it opened my mind up to just like, no, I need to be this because I've always made fun of the improv. The improv always has the improv games, which is the net to keep them safe. Now all you got to do is just plug the shit in. Well, comedy bits have the same situation. You can plug the names of the towns in, mm-hmm. just like you said, formulaic. There's always that dude. Yeah. But, and in fact, it's so, there's always so much that dude that I've become almost accidentally, you know, those people that do those readings where, dead people are talking to you and they're basically just fucking with your mind because of human nature so they <laughs> yeah. can figure out yeah. what to say that's exactly what we're doing we can zone in that guy wears this shirt and this is about him and i've called it so many times like told somebody's story without them telling me and blown their fucking minds <laughs> you can kind of do that by looking at people you can kind of make you know the call about how they're acting how they're talking this is this is this is what I'm picking up from you. And I'm, I think that's what comics need to do is just be more in the moment aware and actually thinking, not just trying to figure out what they're saying next. That's true, man. That's worth a, that's worth a moment to think on that one. That's, that's exactly it. I think uh, so many are just, they go on like a weird autopilot or they, they get lazy and they just sort of fall back on stuff, man. 
Yeah, no kidding. It's just it's just one of those things you start to it's such a long road to get where you can actually perform and make money though. So I understand <laughs> yeah. the, the breath of relief of oh shit, I don't have to fucking keep hammering this out. But yeah. I never yeah. have, I never sat and wrote like that because I can't. I have to write on a sh- on in live performance. So I just write down an idea of how I reacted to it first. And honestly, this is no shit. Because we're in the car all the time and we're always listening to shit, I, we always have an instant reaction of what we think about something, right? Something will pop on and we'll go, that cocksucker, this is what I think about it. I have found that that instant reaction and the wording is done. I've written so many jokes to where here it is, walked it on stage, the fucking word conservation was already there because it was just me not trying to write a bit. It was my reaction to that. And then using that, I've got bits right now on stage that are brand new that, that are just as crusher as stuff that I've had for years just because of paying attention and going, oh, I need to I need to say it just like that. And then when you walk it on stage, you work it out on stage with an actual audience. So then your wording doesn't feel scripted because you're actually having a real conversation and you can figure out the real wording. Do you notice this? I, I, I like that too. I think that's, that's a, that's a <laughs> writing style that you can't start off with. You have to grow into it, right? Because it's based off of your, your almost your autonomic skill set that you sort of develop over years of, of doing it where I, like I'll have younger, newer comics try to ask me for advice <laughs> on how to write a joke. And I'm like, well, I can't tell you until you know who you are. Once you know who you are, then you know how you say things and then you just create already in your voice. And I find it same kind of thing. Like uh, instead of writing out uh, prose versions of my joke that I'm going to try to say, like it's some sort of handcrafted fucking thought piece, I can just sort of bullet point it. And then when I get in public and I start talking, my uh, there's an automatic filter that knows this didn't need to be said. You don't need to say it that way. And just sort of how it naturally comes out takes about three steps of the editing process out. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. That's why I don't think comics are understanding. Like I, I posted stand-up comedy is dead. Zoom is not stand-up comedy. It isn't. It's different. Stand-up comedy is a comic on a microphone in front of a crowd because you can't get that vibe or that, that sense of what you're doing and that, that that's i don't even know i started this thought and have no idea where it's going <laughs> well i i tell you i think <laughs> i think we're just trying to get by with what's available now and and i had said before that like zoom shows and shit even even this kind of podcasting kind of stuff um it's methadone comedy yeah, in front I, think of that, I, don't, I don't take it away from anybody doing it I just do not think that it replaces in any way, shape, or form. This is the new way. Nah, it's not stand-up. It's different. It's just it's a Zoom show, and you can get good at Zoom shows, but it's completely different than what you're going to do in a, in the situation where you're in an audience with a live, you know, a live audience. Just like I don't watch people's tapes, dude, because you know how many times I've watched a YouTube. I shouldn't say tape. That fucking ages me. <laughs> Watching YouTube, people go, "Hey, watch my stuff on YouTube." So I watch their stuff and I hate them. Like I watched John Caponera. John Caponera was with my agent. Didn't like him. I was like, mm, I don't get it. I don't understand. Went and worked with him. Crushed. It was yeah. amazing live. I was like, what the fuck? Okay. 
So I stopped judging anybody like that anymore because it's, it's about the live performance. It's about the live show and how you have, how you are with that crowd. Now suddenly I'm in the energy of it. So yeah, it's just, it's a different animal. <clears throat> it totally is. No worry. Um, you know what? Let's talk. You know, dude, let's I'm talking a lot because I, uh, I, I, I smoke a shit ton of weed in the morning. <laughs> it's how I move. It's how I move. Brother, if you live, if you're a comic and you're in the Pacific Northwest and you're not smoking a bunch of weed every morning, then I, I, I don't really understand who you are. You know what I mean? Yeah, no kidding. You, you are, you're doing what you're supposed to do. Well, I tell you what, let's take a quick break here, Morgan. And when we come back, let's talk about the good old days when you can be in front of a live audience and talk about the one thing we have in common, and that is the 50 states in 50 days. All right? Rock on, brother. We'll be right back with more Morgan Preston in just a second. Welcome back to the After Later podcast. I'm your host, John Wessling. Joining me today is Morgan Preston. Now, Morgan Preston. Yay! Yay! <laughs> yay, yay! Dude, I, I love to get a chance to talk to you. I'm kind of bummed that we've never got to, to, to hang out and perform together because I've known of you and known about you and I've been a, a fan and admirer and supporter uh, for all these years, uh, but we've just always been far apart. The one thing we have in common other than just that we're stand-up comics we're in a very elite fraternity of the handful of people who have performed in all 50 states in 50 days and uh, it's it's an experience that i can't explain accurately to anyone who hasn't done anything like it before you know let me see if i can explain it to you and if you have the same feeling this is how i tell people it is it's so intense and you got so much stimulus all day every day that by the time you get to Hawaii you have some kind of a you have to like deprogram because the next day that you don't have to do shit you your body is literally weirded the fuck out <laughs> doesn't exactly know what to do you're just like oh my god i don't have to be somewhere i don't have to do an interview i don't have to it it just becomes this weird thing where you almost have to go somewhere and chill for like two weeks that's exactly yeah and i don't even know what to call it ptsd i I think that's saying that's called that's too easy to say ptsd because it's not like i didn't have fun the whole time but it's just maybe it's a military thing like when you're in the military and once again they probably do way not probably do way harder stuff than us but it's this military style schedule it's just constant and you can't fuck it up and you can't yeah. fuck it up. And it's just constant, constant, constant. And so you kind of understand how that just, I mean, after about 10 days, I would say, once you hit the 10 day mark, you just go, holy fuck. Cause 10 days is a long tour mm-hmm. for a normal tour. Just like, holy fuck. There's 40 more 40. <laughs> Dude. I remember when we, when we did it, uh, <laughs> We had the, the day we left of the 50 uh, states, we had maybe 35 booked and then another 15 that we were going to have to gin up on the fly. And then along right. the way, probably seven of the ones we had booked fell out, canceled. Something happened where we had to scramble on the fly. So we had a lot of of uh, while we were driving. There was three of us on the tour, right? So one person's driving, the other two are trying to you know, are on the phone trying to trying to book shit or make something happen because I also noticed that the stress of it of having a streak running like that is if, if something fucks up 
halfway through, it's over and it's useless. I mean, no one gives a shit about someone who did 47 states in 50 days. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or if, no. as, you, as soon as you fuck one up, it's done, right? And we had uh, Georgia canceled on us when we got there. Like, we showed up to wow. where we were supposed to do it in Atlanta, and they were gone. Like, the club was closed. No one was answering. It was like, what the fuck are we going to do? And he literally went across the street from the hotel we were staying at to, like, a, a fucking uh, sports bar wings place and just said, hey, we're fucked. Can we do a show? here? Will you allow us to speak in public? And they're like, yeah, go ahead. You know what I mean? There was We did a, we did a fucking... Um, uh, Rotary Club meeting in Dover, Delaware, for Christ's sake. Yeah, see, that's the shit. Yeah, and it was. It, but you, you did so many types of shows, time. right? How 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 strong? How much of a beast were all you guys when you walked off the road, though? We got done. I, I, not even done. I would say about. And I mean, uh, brag it up. Say it for real. I would say about after two two and a half weeks in, right when we're getting close to that uh, halfway spot. Uh, Dude, we were carved out of fucking wood. We were fearless. We were animals on stage. And we would walk into any club and just... and, and Yeah, I, I'd never been a stronger comic than I was uh, at the end of that tour. And and it's so weird. Like, you know, you know how you get, like, performance buzz and anxiety and you get that those pheromones are just popping like fireworks when you're in that show mode? I kind of yeah. felt like after about two weeks into it, that I was, I was spent. I was cummed out, man. I was like, I, so I was, I'll, I'll not say emotionless, but just super cool. Like I just, we oh, walked yeah, into I, know, I understand a hundred percent what you mean. You get into this zone where you're just like, you just roll in and go, where's the show, man. And mm-hmm. everybody's watching you like, Oh, there's the vets, all the local comics. <laughs> Hardcore. Like, and then, you know, I, yeah, I get it. You just feel a different <laughs> headspace. We we got that way. Uh, I think we did. Uh, I think it was Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh-huh. New Mexico, and that and that would have been like around this like day thirty five, and we had just had two really crazy drive days, right? And what was your longest up, drive day? Um, you know, I tell you, I I, uh, I did really good on the planning. Uh, <laughs> the longest drive was from uh, Miami, Oklahoma to. Albuquerque. It was like a 300 some odd mile day because everything else is, you know, I, I kind of the way I, I mapped it out, we never uh, it was never more than about a 200 mile day. But that was the one where we had to kind of go from from Midwest to the West. Right. So we drove across right. Oklahoma, across the, the panhandle and, and into um, into New Mexico. So that was like the one single longest day. I'd also say the uh, going from L.A. up to Portland was a nice long haul. Yeah, that's a bitch of a drive. I don't even know why, but it's it's all interstate, but it just fucking sucks. It seems like it's forever. That California's huge. Yeah, California's way bigger than people. And, and and people don't realize how much California there is north of San Francisco. You know, that that northern that northern top, that that big chunk at the top before you even get to Oregon. That that's a bitch, man. <laughs> that I don't even Cal, think people realize what how big the United States actually is. And I didn't until I get out in it. And then I was like, what in the fuck? This place is huge. Texas, yeah. the top of Texas is huge. Fuck Texas. It's huge. Like, I don't even want to drive. I don't want to go anywhere south of Amarillo. I want to stay <laughs> on the top. Florida. Florida. We did Tallahassee the first time, then the second, which was garbage. 
Yeah. And then the second time we did Destin, we stayed up above, went into Destin. It was dope. That's where we did. We did. We hit Destin, a place called Rum Runners. Oh, okay. We did the Hard Rock. Okay. I think you could see them from each other. That's how close they are. Yeah. Yeah. It was a. It was a. It was a crazy experience, man. And and hell, we drove through the bottom of a forming tornado in Kansas. Yeah. Like we had to drive into Hurricane Sandy. I mean. The United States is so big that there's only like certain windows you can even go out in. Yeah. Or you're going to no, get weather, yeah. right? That was a, a big part of our, our looking at it was, I mean, there's so much planning to it. Because like you said, you're, you're going to go everywhere in 50 days, which is. And summer's so out because you're not going to book summer. Nope. So, well, you just, you're going to run into too many problems in summer and winter too, right? So you either got fall or spring. And we did spring. We started uh well, we were yeah it was pretty much all of april and may okay right? we started, that's we started, we started the last one and that's the one we didn't make because we hit snow in chicago and all those states it just uh, got them there. well that's what almost fucked us is 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 we had like i had it really mapped out and i was like yeah we uh, and we had some fallouts in the midwest and wound up having to double back over ourselves we had to move things out of order so we had to go like from north dakota uh down to nebraska then back up to south dakota and then so we kind of and i was like this is a fuck up we're we're overexposing we're gonna spend too much time in this area and that's when we ran into tornado shit yeah so we got real close to like i said like we, we drove it pushed us three lanes across the freeway to this this literally a tornado forming and passing right over the top of us like I really like to me that was like one of the scariest road moments I had ever had. And there yeah, was another time real where, weather will kill you. Yeah, yeah. Weather's weather does not fuck around, man. And there was another time, I want to say it was Arkansas or something like that, where there was this horrible rainstorm at night and we had to drive immediately after the show uh to to go get well, we we have so much morning radio, dude. That was one thing that fucked us. We could have made it a lot easier on ourselves if we didn't have to do, or if we didn't make ourselves do so many morning radio gigs at the next day's gig. So it was. So you were actually trying to do in studio. Yeah. Oh yeah, we were showing up. Oh my god. Well, that's what would work. Is I mean, we'd show up grizzled as fuck, and we're all we're filming ourselves, so we have our own cameras and stuff with us. No crew, just us ourselves. So do we? We just we just showed up, and, and there was something about the showing up and how they, we looked and and we how we drove all night and we're this many days in and kept the running tally of how many miles we did, and uh, and of course we're just stoned out of our fucking minds the entire time. I mean, it was it really was so a rock and weed roll trip. Trip. dude. Not only did we carry weed with us, we had it set up, had friends mailing it to us at little checkpoints along the way. You guys are the biggest dirtbags as us. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah we Dude, did the we same shit. I don't think I'm carrying weed ever again, though. Because uh, I yeah, got enough half the shows to where I'm not going to fuck with it anymore. We got lucky, dude. We really got lucky, and we had a we had a streak going that we noticed and we knew about, and we never said a fucking thing until the last show was over in Hawaii. We never got pulled over. Yeah, neither do we. We never got fucking pulled over, and we 
we were a pinata full of felonies, dude. We we were fucked up. We had we had weed. We had pills. We were half drunk half the fucking time. We were speeding. I mean, that was dude. We were we. I can't believe we fucking got away with it. What? That was the nineties, right? No, it's two thousand five. Okay, well, still coming out of the nineties, you could get away with some of that shit. Yeah, we had one time where we we, we fucking skedaddled because. One of the the places we had set up, my buddy uh, uh, Chuck, who was on the gig with us, he's the one that had his buddy sending us pot at different spots, and uh, one of it was a hotel that we knew we'd be at in Ohio, and then uh, it was, oh yeah, you guys uh, have a delivery. Um, well, I don't know where it is, and then someone came out of the back office and whispered in the guy's ear. He goes, oh yeah. Um, yeah, those those deliveries aren't here. I think the police came. But they said something like uh, uh, the cops came by or something. And we're like, oh, okay. Well, uh, we're just going to go get some stuff out of our room. And we fucking midnight ran that motherfucker just to get out of there. Because we're like, oh, oh, shit. Someone found <laughs> the fucking cops. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> we fucking skedaddled. And we were like, okay, no more of that shit. <laughs> I did find out that, dude, we're all in bars. We're in clubs. We're all around. Pretty much people hang out of bars are all the same people all over the country. Oh, yeah. So guess what oh, that yeah. means? Everybody's got weed. Yeah. Everybody's sure. got. Everybody's had pretty much had weed. So, uh, we would. The, the last tour, we were more careful. Keith, one one dude would just carry the weed, keep it all in one spot, and it was small enough we'd smoke out of an apple. It was mm-hmm. all small enough to work, where we could just ditch that shit quick. Um, <laughs> yep. But we found that we didn't really need it because every time we'd roll in anywhere, we'd have it. You know. Yeah. So not a big deal. Albuquerque is the first time I ever did coke because we had a 13-hour drive from there. And I'm like, all right, well, I trust these comics because it was comics through Stanhope, through, yeah. you know, people uh, that were tweeting this. And you can usually trust comics with your drugs. So this guy's like, yeah. I got some coke here. And he's like, here's a bunch of LSD, which we put in our wallets and took to Hawaii. And, uh, <laughs> And then a bunch of weed, and then we just jumped in the car and did on the thirteen-hour drive. And I think I can't remember right, but I think we were headed to—I don't even remember—Albuquerque to maybe, maybe Cali. It was a weird yeah. run. Yeah, I say. Yeah, it was a thirteen-hour run, but we didn't have oh. too many of those. Those things suck. Dude, we got clever. We we did a uh, we did a, a casino in Colorado that was way up in the mountains, right? And this was our clever, this is how we booked this one. Because they didn't know how to pay us. They didn't know, well, what, how much is it going to cost? And I said, how about this? We got an idea, right? How about each of us gets $200 in chips to play one shoe of blackjack? And they're like, oh, okay, sure. So that was the, that was the bet, right? So we did the show. Everything was great. Of course, it's high altitude, and we're fucking... 38 days into this run so we're just fucking <gasps> we're just hypoxic yeah, real. fucking tripping and high right and i'm not saying i'm a good blackjack player but i'm i'm good enough i know the basic rules and it was just the three of us and the other two guys are actually they're pretty damn good blackjack players and like i said the the, the idea is that we each are staked with 200 bucks we're gonna play one shoe and then whatever up or down whatever happens after that is it so there's people all gathered around that were at the show to watch us do it after the show's over. And dude, I tell you, it was the biggest fucking blackjack bloodbath that has ever happened. Dude, 
we, none of we none of us won a single fucking hand. We got bled all the way dry by the meanest, cooler motherfucker dealer, who was just boom hitting blackjack, boom hitting their own blackjack. <laughs> that was your pay. Yeah, so it was it was demoralizing. So we were we lost everything. We didn't even finish the fucking shoe, and we were all out. And like they they felt bad, like they literally felt bad, and just gave us two hundred bucks for like walking money as we left. But it was demoralizing. Like it wasn't even it's exciting. Like, much. <laughs> like the guy, it was exciting the for the, the casino. Guy, you know, even they were bummed. Like, oh, we thought that'd be more fun, and it was like, well, yeah. Oh, we, where, where did you get this fucking dealer, man? She's goddamn brutal, and she was gorgeous. This gorgeous girl just killing us, just ripping our. They always put the pretty ones on there, yeah. Yeah, right. Oh, my God. It was like the guy was like the, the handler was even saying like, yeah, oh, wow. I've never seen it. I've never seen a shuffle that worked out like that before. That was cold blooded. Sorry, guys. Uh, here, we feel bad here. This way you can, you know, get a tank of gas and some food on the way out. <laughs> Thanks for getting 250 people in our showroom last night. That was well, fun. What's that your was biggest fun. gig? What was your biggest gig? We did one. Oh, yeah. We had a rock star. Our biggest rock star moment would have been in Vermont. It was. Oh, okay. It was um, uh, some rock venue, right? So it was a, a concert venue, and it probably, okay. but it was about a five hundred seater, and it was it was packed, and it made no sense why it was packed. It was packed like the in Blues Brothers when they do the the ballroom at the end, like yeah, like, fuck, this is crazy. Why we show up and it's standing room only, and we we didn't do any promotion for it. The, the gig did all the promotion. And it worked out perfectly because the year before I had been at, at Montreal for Just for Laughs. Okay. So I had sent promo stuff about us doing the tour to the guys from Montreal. And they said, well, we'd love to come see this. And I said, like, well, we got this great gig in Vermont. Come on down because it's, you know, but two hours away from Montreal. And so they show up like they're the, you know, and we just look like fucking rock stars. Every one of us parked it and we had been we had been cutting together a little sizzle reel from the two and a half weeks leading up to it. Uh Right. And we were in a, a, we were in a Chevy Uplander was our rental car and it had the little DVD player. So we had Robbie Pra and and Evie Regev, the two guys from uh, Montreal, they sat in the back seat of our rental van and it smelled like a fart and and we had just smoked a joint in it. And then they got to watch the sizzle reel right there, a little five minute cut. (laughs) <laughs> and then they get out like, man, guys, that was great. And the parking lot's already empty. And we've got to drive to, to Western New York for radio in the morning. The and it was like the, climax. No, but, it, but it was but it was just cool and shit. Like it had like a it had like a really just a cool feel. Like they were shaking our hands and thanks guys and good luck. And we get in and we leave the empty parking lot. We can like see them and you know behind us just sort of standing there by their car. And that was like the coolest rock star moment of the whole thing was just that the uh, killer packed show and then like the kind of show where they you know groups of people going hey you guys should come hang out with us we all these girls want to go party we're like we can't guys we gotta get to the next town you know the you know i mean it was like we can leave yeah right it was fucking it was that was like the coolest one and then it was like a you know the highs and the lows right the next week was just a fucking bloodbath of working our way back through uh, uh, the East Coast, Mid East, down. East Coast like, is a bitch. Like, is a ooh, bitch. It took a fucking ride it. out of us, dude. I always felt like when we got into when I started to come back. I mean, we made money. We did good. We kind of lucked out because first time <laughs> we were with Christine Levine. She's tied with Stanhope, and so yeah, Comedy yeah. Hero was helping us out, and we were riding this fucking 
uh, stuff for laugh. What is that? It was a wet last spin. And, yeah. I uh, so we were getting a little bit of love, and uh, which helped us through a lot of different issues. Like um, Sandy, for instance, could have turned into a nightmare, but uh, this place that we were going to do the show got flooded. And they just said, hey, man, come and get your money. We know you guys have been working your ass off. Our insurance is going to cover this, but we can't do a show, but you can get paid. So we went and picked up a check. And then when that happened, uh, people were following enough on Facebook that uh, Delaware, they just threw together a show. And I don't know if you know who Jessa Reed is. You know Jessa? I know of, but I don't think I know her. Okay, so Jessa... That's where I first met Jessa Reed, and Jessa came to the sh- or worked at the Hilton, and she uh, she's like, well, we got a we got a full hotel of uh, right, you know, Red Cross workers, and National Guard. This place is packed. Well, let's just open up the ballroom. And so we took a show that would have not been anything, and it turned into something better. So we allowed a lot, but we also had I don't know if you guys had Facebook at the time or no. were using it to the level because. I got to see it work super good as a t- tool to get shit handled in the real world. Like tons of people would follow us and be, this is how we would tell a venue instead of sending a contract, I'd go, I'm going to send you the specs in, in this written form. You agree to it. You go to our page and write something on our page that says something like excited to see you guys coming soon. And then I told them interact with us and talk to the people that were at the show before in the comments, like, pay attention. So when I forced them to do that, like, that was part of the agreement, we started just meeting all these people, like, oh, we don't have a sound system in Louisville, Kentucky. Some dude, like, I'm driving it down. Like, they would figure shit out for us, and it was a super awesome way to work. The other thing that works dope on Facebook for us was that we were able to put a private group together where only the team is in there, and then any info on any gig, no fucking around. There's all the fucking threads were about a venue, all uh, all posters and data could be uploaded in files. So every single person on their phone had access to everything instantly, always. That's great. So, that, bro, dude, that is badass. And that's that's the one thing we didn't have because we went. Well, we that should help. Dude, you well, know we what I mean? This, we were before it. We were before MySpace. Yeah. We, Dude, we had I, nothing. So back in the day, this is how I used to book. I've been doing this since I was like 15, 16. Like I grew up in the entertainment business. I'm third generation. My grandmother was a dance teacher. My father was a dancer for the Salt Lake City Ballet Company. He was like their lead. He was their Berezhnikov. That's cool. And so because of that, I had to do all this artsy shit and dance and play violin and I didn't like it so we rebelled by we learned how to juggle and we were like fucking super <laughs> jugglers and clowns and shit as kids which in the 80s that led towards comedy was starting to pop off and these shows were happening so we just slid in and we had a good juggling show but I started to get more enamored with comedy and went that direction but that being said when I used to have to book the best thing that happened to me is that I was born in Montana because I'm not in the city. So I didn't just jump into the, oh, if you work this club and you got to go after the comedy clubs and blah, blah, blah. No. In Montana, we had to come up with our own venues. So we're doing fucking working as children 
for the Sheraton doing the fucking circus brunch. We're at the fucking in front of car dealerships for $2,000 a weekend. We went to M days in Butte. And so we figured out a hustle. And so as I got older and you're starting to get comedy clubs, you're wanting to do that. I would have to go to the library, pull the fucking phone books off the shelves, write down all the phone numbers for the chamber of commerces. Then I'd call the ladies at the chamber of commerces of the towns that I'd want to go to. And they would give me a list of fucking cool venues. And then I'd call those venues from there. Now it's just a beep, 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 and done. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the process if it's used properly, it's gotten so much easier, dude, because you had to work your fucking ass off. I know what it's about, work, uh, booking on the road. If we wouldn't have had Facebook, it would have been a bitch. <laughs> I can tell you, since we did not have Facebook and we had to do it, it was a bitch. It's what made us fight. I mean, that was the thing that caused uh, uh, that the, probably the is what caused us between us. Yeah. I'm a super hardcore like task. But I'm also super in control of my driving. I don't trust very many people to drive I'm with. Saying Every way, accident dude, I've yeah. been in has been somebody else's problem. When I was in the head-on, not my fault. I've not been in an accident until just recently, actually, because I'm a small fender bender. But I had not gotten in an accident ever that was my fault. So I have to drive. But I got my headset, my gear, and I can take phone calls. And I can close. I insisted on closing because, you know, people would fuck up. We get there and there'd be no sound. Or, hey Andrew, where are we staying tonight? Oh, you didn't fucking mention that to the dude. You <laughs> didn't think we needed a place to stay, you fucking idiot. So that type of shit. <laughs> so I would try to close those because I want to also know because I talk to people in a way like, okay, you got to make money. I got to make money. This is how much we want. This is what I'll do to make it fair for both of us. Like I'd say, we're trying to make thousand to two thousand dollars out of the venue. I understand you don't want to just cut us a check for a thousand to two thousand, but what I will do is, is if you give me five hundred cash, two rooms, um, and then we get everything up to a thousand, and then all of our merch, all of our shit in the room, then they're instantly like they know what they're in for all the way, mm-hmm. and then I I found these people apologizing to us. It was awesome. Oh man, we were like two sheets, two two seats short of a sellout. So it's the mind space you put them in. And we got fucked less than the first time because I would insist on, like, if I didn't feel comfortable about a place, we would walk the fuck away. Because sometimes comics will take gigs out of desperation. Mm. But in reality, they probably knew the whole time it was going to shit. You can tell when you're talking to these people if they're going to give it, get it done or not. I've told people, you know what? No, nah, this doesn't sound like a place that's going to work for me. I'll just move the fuck on. See, I got to learn to say no quick. That was, I was with you. Like I'm kind of that, except for the the closing ability. That would have been my, uh, my, my partner, Tommy Drake. He was the one that was good about getting down to the nut cutting. Like I was good at bird dogging and finding (laughs) the right venue. Right. But I wasn't the, I couldn't close a deal. Like matter of fact, we, we, um, (laughs) we had a joke uh, where you know, uh, bad to the bone. Especially, we were we were definitely doing a lot of George Thorogood songs because he's the one that, that did the Fifty States tour first. Yeah, right? he did it in a taxi, didn't he? Yeah, in a taxi. And he, my favorite quote is that he said it was the worst thing he'd ever done for his career. <laughs> he, yeah, for he was real. Let's go on tour me. with Led Zeppelin and instead said, "Let's go do this tour in a fucking taxi." And he said, "We never so recovered." Who, who were the dudes on your tour? The full, like the full roster. 
it was uh, it was me, Tommy Drake, and Chuck Savage, right? Chuck Savage, okay. Now, now Chuck, uh, uh, his he's famous in the comedy world as he was Mitch Hedberg. Yeah, I was player. like, have I heard that name? Yeah, he's the one that plays bass for for Mitch on all of his albums. Okay, okay, okay. Right, and and he's like a uh, he's like a serious bass player. Like he's played in many different bands. And the funny thing was, is <laughs> right before we did this tour. I got a part in a pilot where I played a guy who was a bass player. So I had like, you know, when we did the tour, I had long hair and, you know, I'm a bigger dude. So I just looked like, a, and we stopped somewhere. I want to say it was Indiana where we stopped at a Walmart to get batteries and fresh socks and underwear. Right. So we're in line with like that kind of like, like what Stop was on the fresh socks and underwear though. Stop on that just for a second. Okay. Yeah. This is a hack for everybody who's listening. Fresh socks and underwear are pretty cheap to buy, brand new. You can throw the other shit in the garbage. You don't have to have it. It's cotton. It's like toilet paper. Fucking throw it away, especially yep. if you're on the road. Carry merch. Carry fucking merch to sell and less clothes because there's Walmarts everywhere. Plus, I agree 100%, and that was actually Chuck's idea for being a touring musician for, for many, many years, right? And and I'll also say this. Ain't there is nothing like the morale boost of, of new wearing, underwear, brand new underwear and brand new socks. Boy, yep. that, that, that feels great. Right. When you need it too. You know what I mean? When and also taking, yeah. hit as yeah. many Rosses as you can. Cause I wear bigger size shoes and dude, you'll walk in and find some pretty dope Converse some pretty dope shit. You can't find anywhere else that everybody's like, where'd you get those dope Converse? The Ross in Des Moines, Iowa. There was <laughs> yeah. one pair. Come on, man. It's the best place to fucking look different than everybody. Just pay attention. <laughs> you're cheap, absolutely right. Really. Okay, keep going. I didn't mean to fuck oh, the story. Oh, no, no, I just no, hit, no, a no, note, so, hit a note in my head. So there we are. We, we, you know, we, we run into um, we run into the Walmart. We've got uh, a cart full of that. Like, basically, a whole bunch of batteries, because we're, you know, for all the different mics and everything that we had with us. And socks, underwear, you know, a big thing of Gatorade. Just, the, you know, standard tour snacks. And this guy was in line in front of us. He turned around, he looked at us and saw what we had. He goes, y'all a band? And we just kind of laughed. He goes, let me guess. And he points at me. You're the bass player. And I fucking, uh-huh. I just died laughing. I'm like, ah, Chuck, I'm the fucking greatest actor ever. <laughs> this yeah, guy, no does, I can't funny. play bass. I can't play bass at all. But Chuck is a fucking, he's on several different albums. And, and Did <laughs> you guys work the, that into the show ever? His bass oh, playing? Yeah. Dude. Okay. Oh cool. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we toured with his big. We had his, the same stand-up bass that he used in in Hedberg's uh, albums. We we brought with us, and we had people sign it every night. So by oh, the dope. end of it, the whole thing is just completely covered in graffiti. Yeah, and you guys did a little gimmicky stuff like we did because we did that with Skulls, my buddy, make, mm-hmm. that makes mm-hmm. Skulls for the movies. So we took these super dope resin Skulls and had them sign. That's cool. We gave, we gave one of the five away to whoever helped us the most on the tour. And, some dude out of texas actually amarillo but oh, um shit. fuck yeah dude it's a there's so many stories and it's so awesome and i love the fact that you guys did put the music into that because these are shows man and if you can walk up and walk out and blow people's mind it isn't just what i have to say dude i can play a ukulele i can play a mandolin i can ride a unicycle i can take dope fucking photos it's like shh, fucking show off people love that shit yeah, they you really know, do. They like to laugh, but the whole the whole point is is to elicit some emotional response because now suddenly everybody's like they just love you. 
you're the family. You're now suddenly a different dude in the room, you know? You know how it works. Fuck it. I'm also a photographer, by the way. If anybody's paying attention, you want to go look at my work, I'm very good. So go check that shit out. Well, yeah, you know what? Let's let's get down to that. What's uh, Where can we go to find your, your photography? Uh, if you just Google Morgan Preston Comedian, you can just find me. And then my stuff is all over. You can see what's up with what yeah, I like do. Yeah, like a Flickr page or anything like that with all your stuff? Uh, I do, but Flickr's kind of whatever. I just have an Instagram, which is uh, uh, Instagram forward dot com forward slash solar underscore pig solar pig. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite just, accounts to follow. All right, well, thank you. Um, <laughs> or just uh, I'll post some cabin pictures, building cabins and photography. I shoot all kinds of stuff, portrait, concert work. I got to shoot. That's one of the, my favorite things about being able to have lived in Seattle, is I got to spend a lot of time at a specific venue like every Monday for hundreds of Mondays um, shooting and learning concert photography basically on the job. And I would just walk out of each of those shoot sessions, which is a big jam session on Mondays. All these musicians from all over the city, all the pros come to a jam and the pros are in the house and it's a sick venue and it's just places bounce and everybody's smoking weed. People are painting comics will go up and, I would host and different, it was just a really super cool environment. So I got to shoot a lot there. So yeah, check out the concert photography. Cause uh, we, there is no more concerts. So check out <laughs> what it used to be. Point, it's a uh, concert history. It's a <laughs> In the before four when we used to have concerts. <laughs> well, hey, Morgan, you know, uh, I, I, I guess I remember before this all popped, you had another uh, plan lined up to do another 50 States tour, right? Yeah, we've actually, we went out on, we did two. First one was special. All kinds of weird shit happened. Andrew went blind, was blind most of it. Oh, wow. I, got, you know, I was up his ass because we're trying to book. His girlfriend's helping book from the road. Yeah, but a lot of cool stuff went down, but a lot of weird stuff that could have fucked it didn't go down. And Christine bought plane tickets off of fucking Craigslist to get to Alaska and then barely could get out of Alaska to get to Hawaii because she was flying standby and just all kinds of weird shit. So super interesting. Second one just kind of rolled through like it was pretty solid. The team was solid. Um, You know, there was some issues here and there, but nothing crazy. Money was made. We all ended up where we needed to be. And, um, you know, I think people hated each other at the end. Some people. Happens. But third tour, I went with some vets, James Hennigan, who's like people know that dude from comedy. He's a fucking because, legend, yeah. Yeah, he's fucking the old hippie fucking comic. Came from got came from Vietnam and went to Woodstock and Altamont and Rainbow Children, and now he fucking speaks some truth. And he's a fucking good storyteller. He sounds like uh, sounds like uh, Jeff Bridges or um. Or uh, fucking what's his name, Sam Elliott. Yep. I was in a, I was in a green room and fucking it was with Bobcat Goldthwait and Hennigan was on the show and I sit in the green room with Bobcat. He was like, "Leave the door open. I want to listen to Hennigan speak." He's just got that voice. Yeah, so, he does. Um, and then uh, Justin Hayes, uh, he was the youngster, but he's a uh, he's an ex-military. I don't know if it's, if you say it like that. I don't know ruffle feathers but was a military guy and um 
you know, I had two dudes that had lived a life and know what how to get shit done, really. Yeah, that's helpful. And so it was super fucking chill. Everybody just did their what they were supposed to do, and we laughed our asses off and smoked a shit ton of weed. And then um, Justin's mom passed away at the same time we were facing a snowstorm and, you know, kind of around Chicago. So we just oh. called it. I dropped him off at the airport in O'Hare and Hennigan, and I stayed in Chicago for about a week because we had a sold-out show somewhere i think michigan and so yeah and we just that then we just fucking went home hmm. and so this next one was going to be myself uh hennigan uh and michael winslow with jason stewart on guitar okay well that's an interesting mix so we were going to do uh full on because I tour with Michael a lot because people don't realize that dude is a fucking musical genius. They always yes, try to is. show him into comedy clubs, but really he's the godfather of beatbox and nobody has really caught on to that shit in the United States, except for people who are really in the know. That being said, he's iconic. He's in more than one iconic movie, you know, Mel Brooks mm-hmm. and police Academy and all that shit. Um, He's pop culture. He's mentioned in, fa- in Family Guy. He's on Family Guy. He did a NFL uh, fucking commercial for the Super Bowl, like, last minute. That's his life. He just gets a call. Hey, man, can you come and do a Super Bowl commercial? We need to change, do this, like, a week out. <laughs> like, it must be weird. But yeah, the dude is brilliant. And so yes. I always grab him and say, all right, we're going to do music. And so I just book him we just book it as a, as a band. And so I hired Jason Stewart, who's a great comic as well, but plays a hell of a guitar and he clicks with Michael very well. So he just plays all the rhythm guitar shit. Michael does all the beats and the solos and we just go in and melt people's faces off. (laughs) And I just wander in and out of the show. I built it like, like I do the monologue, get everybody rolled into it. And it's almost like you're at a campfire hanging out with the fucking legend and seeing them do face to face you know, what you've seen them do on TV. And it's super cool because I, I build it to where I can walk in and out of the show. So I'm basically the band leader. So I can just keep the show on point, on, on pace, but it's not weird for me to walk in and out of it. So, yeah, it's awesome. Easy to sell. Everybody, I mean, we had some serious shit on the books before this pan. We were supposed to leave April 1st. Mm. And, uh, you know, didn't happen. So everybody's stressing right now. That's true, man. Well, hopefully when things get back to a semblance of, uh, of normal, you get back to it and uh, comedy will come back to life. And, you know, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a different, I'm an old bull now. You know, I got a, I got a young family. It's hard for me yeah, to, yeah, to, for to go do a 50 day tour anymore, but if there's any way I can be of help, if you need an eye in the sky or a bird dog or anything like that, or maybe get me out for uh a stretch so I can help do some of the driving for a couple of weeks. You just keep me in mind, would you? Dude, we would totally do that. That's awesome. That's I want to do this again because honestly, when you do it with your friends, it's pretty fun. And I've I've figured out that when I take people that I super like, it's way easier. And if you get the shit done in advance and you don't have to do it on the road, less stress. So, uh, yeah, we kind of got the, the formula nailed down. Thanks for the lead out. <laughs> Yeah, we were like the Gemini astronauts, us guys. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> we did it with no social media and a rental car. 
That's, <laughs> fucked, that's fucked up. But we were... pretty hardcore, if you think about it. Now I've got this fucker shaved down to about 10,000 miles. Yeah. That's, the, that, the... I think we did it in, was it 12,300 and something miles? We did something like 20 on one of these because we were so all over the place. Yeah. But some of that so all over the place was chasing money as well. Yeah, right. That, that'll make a big deal. And so if you kind of fuck something up, you got to kind of run around and make up for it. Like we're like, we're in Texas again for the eighth time. What the fuck? What do you think the next thing is now that we, you know, we've kind of conquered the 50 states in 50 days. How fast do you think you can do it? I think it can be done in like 40 days. 40, there's just I so can, many. I see 35. There's so many. Yeah, possibly even less. But I'm just saying. If you want to get a little run out of it, you slowly whittle it down, right? But I think you can do it 35 days for real because there's a bunch of states where you got border states where you can jump across, no problem. The one I wanted a to bunch do, of those. I think, uh, I, I think the real challenge is you can do 50, 50 shows in 50 states in a month. If you hug, if you do all the state, you, you just haul ass through the East Coast where all everything's close and you do a Almost like almost like NACA style, where you're doing a lunch show, an afternoon show, and a night yep. show. Yep. You can get three show three states a day. Plus, this is the one I wanted. I wanted to do four corners. Yeah, is there four? Is there? A, There's a monument there. there. There's like a little, I know, but is there a vol? Is there a city? Is there enough shows in each place? Is there a city in each corner? No, but if you just what if you? I mean, just say it. If you if you if you're already doing it for speed, right? Why not see if you could get whatever your magic number is that you need for an audience to count. Let's say you oh, got, you just twi- set it up. Stage you set it, dude, you can set up on the, on the actual corner itself and rotate the crowd around. <laughs> what, if, what if you did it in the round at four corners? So check it. It's actually a Guinness situation now because it's quantifiable. It can be beat. It can be done in less time. It took an act of God to get these motherfuckers to do it because at first they were just kind of like, well, oh, yeah. the, the first thing they said was, uh, I sent a, I sent a, a note to him because there was a record available for the fastest concert. Well, concerts a concert to concert. Fuck, it doesn't have to be music. Mm-hmm. So I explained all this. We're stand up comics, but you know, it's a concert. So can we do this? She approved it. We roll out somewhere in the middle. We ask a question. And she f- picks up that we're comics. And I was like, uh, she's like, this is a music record. I go, refer back to the first email where I explained everything. So they don't <laughs> pay a lot of attention. Yeah. Uh, so she's like, well, there's these other records that are already available for comics because, you know, we'd have to open a category. And I was like, okay, well, all those other things you're telling me are all stupid. We did, we did those the first week out on this deal. Right. She's like, all right. Well, she felt kind of pressured. So she's like, oh, we'll just... Uh, open a category i have to write rules so i said okay so we're getting ready to go again and this bitch still hasn't written the rules and she's just not answering they're in london or some shit not ever returning emails or anything so i call the new york office and i'm like what the fuck like we're, i'm trying to plan this i don't even know what how many people are how big the venues are supposed to be or like what the rules are so they finally this chick finally gets a hold of me She's like, I'll have these done in 30 days or two weeks. I'm like, we're leaving in, in a month. <laughs> and she's like, okay, well, I'll try to get them as quick as possible. Within 45 minutes, I have the rules in the email. 
within 45 minutes. She just took the fucking concert rules and switched them around. She didn't even, she even <laughs> fucked up changing some of the wording. She didn't change some of the wording. <laughs> so I, I sent some stuff back. I'm like, why does it have to be a hundred? The best comedy venues in the country are 50 seaters. Why do I have to have a hundred seater venues? This is dumb. This is a different deal. So she switched it around. So all that shit's in place. Cause once they open a category, it doesn't close. Hmm. so somebody else also tried to open i don't know who did it but, and it doesn't matter if you set it or don't set it it just sits there there's another comedy record most shows in a year you have to do a minimum of 200 you cannot repeat venues i'm like shit dude i've already done that no problem yeah um you could add the 50 states can be part of that. You could just do it, say, okay, this is the year we're just going to bust this shit out. And the only reason I even do any of this stuff is so people will pay attention to something because they need a fucking story. Everybody needs a goddamn story. And everybody's sick of all these posters. Like, come to the bar and watch the comics. It's just the same shit every time. So give them something different. But that's still sitting there. And the reason I didn't turn in the certification and stuff is because there's some dudes I don't really want to share the shit with. <laughs> i understand that <laughs> and i have two movies in the can and when that shit comes out you'll see exactly why you wouldn't like i told him you you know somebody mouthed off one time uh, on facebook and i'm like dude you do realize that every single thing you said and did is on fucking tape right and i have it <laughs> right yeah like the real story like if you really want to bring it up here's the real story and it's fucking in this conversation in this conversation on tape fuckhead so um, that kind of scenario is why I want to run with somebody like, you know, some pros. I want to take the credit with some pros. Well, if you ever make a run for speed, uh, save me a seat, would you? I'm well, good, I would totally I'm do good, it for I'm speed. I'm a good night I mean, driver. <laughs> I want to try to get this fucker done in as quick as possible. Obviously, that's the goal. We would blow people's minds if you did 50 states in 35 days or 40 days. Holy shit. That's yeah. a big deal. That would be cool. Well, let's let's put a pin in it and let's. Uh, All right, wait let's, till this pandemic ends in seven years. That's right. When, when the, <laughs> we'll entertain the survivors in the new normal. We'll see if there's any states left. <laughs> yeah, no shit. It's gonna fuck us if they make Puerto Rico or or uh, DC a state. We got to do the whole fucking thing over again. It'll be fifty-one fifty. We'll have all fucking uh, Van Halen style. Oh, that does sound cool. That does sound cool when you put it like that. <laughs> well i love it dude hey thank you so much for coming on and shooting the shit with me morgan it was a, a treat to finally get to talk to you and uh let, let's uh let, let's do this again sometime soon absolutely I had a great time thank you man dude you are the best man and like i said this clears up uh consider me uh, an asset and a resource and let's let's go fucking get it again fuck yeah brother let's do it Thanks again to my guest today, Mr. Morgan Preston. As he said, if you want to follow him, uh, just fucking Google him. That's how we put it. But you can follow him on Instagram at solar underscore pig. Some very good photography on there. It's a great follow. <laughs> that was a great conversation. And uh, yeah, I hope uh, that would would, re would be really cool to go do another 50 States tour and try to break the speed record. How fast can we do 50 shows in 50 States? I think we could do it in a month. I think we could. I don't know. My wife would kill me if I did that again. <laughs> yeah. She gave me the stink eye just now, just mentioning it. Like, don't you do it. 
<laughs> you got kids. Speaking of, I better get outside and get those kids playing. Hey, uh, just to let you know, episode three of the Shirtless Man will be out on Monday. Looking forward to that. That's going to be a fun one. The, the story is picking up speed. Thank you to those who have listened. Thank you to those who have uh, shared it with their friends. Uh, that's been a lot of fun to make. And we'll talk more about that uh, next week. Always looking for more guests. Uh, if you think you're an interesting, unique person, want to share your opinions or your experience on the show, I'd love to have you. All you got to do is uh, hit me up at John Wessling, J-O-H-N-W-E-S-S-L-I-N-G, or the show's Twitter after later. That's A-F-T-E-R-L number eight, letter E-R. Uh, thanks to my sponsors again for hooking me up. That's Alamo Remedy CBD. That's uh, alamoremedy.com. You put in the promo code after later, uh, all caps, all one word, 10% off your order and free shipping for orders over $49. Uh, and also Old Humble Special Reserve, the great new whiskey uh, by my friends over at Old Humble Distilling. Go to oldhumbledistilling.com to find out where you can get a bottle. If you're in the Houston area, just run by specs. Thanks to my benefactors, my good friends who pay me for no reason. I mean, because they love me. That would be Scott Henry, Tommy Drake, James Herring, Saul Gonzalez, and the man known simply as Joe Pro. If you'd like to throw some money in the digital tip jar, just go to anchor.fm slash after later. There's a little support tab right there. Click on it. Every little dollar helps. Appreciate you listening. Have a great weekend. And like I said, I'll be back on Monday with episode three of The Shirtless Man. Till then, this is After Later. I'm John Wessling, and thank you for listening. Everybody say bye. Okay, I guess, I guess we're not going to do that anymore. <laughs>